0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 323. When given an opportunity, deliver excellence and never
0: quit. Robert Rodriguez. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex
1: Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, guys, today on the show, we have John Hess from Filmmaker IQ. Now, I've been a fan of John's work for years. Filmmaker IQ is an amazing website with these remarkable mini-documentaries that he puts up on YouTube. And and he just shows you everything from how to make air-powered blub squibs to the history of the mockbuster, the fundamental elements of film music, who's in a movie credits, the science of deep focus and hyperfocal distance. I mean, the history of the Hollywood musical. He goes deep into each topic he covers. And they are so entertaining, so well-produced. And I just love what John has been doing over the years. He is definitely an OG in this space of helping filmmakers follow their dreams and make their movies. So I, I just had an absolute ball talking to John on the show. I can't wait to share this episode with you. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with John Hess. I'd like to welcome to the show the legendary... John Hess from Filmmaker IQ. Thank you, John, for being on the show, buddy. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. I mean, listen, I've been, uh, like I was telling you earlier, I am been a big fan of Filmmaker IQ and what you do. You have a very unique voice in, in how you approach the filmmaking process uh, and the work that you do with Filmmaker IQ uh, than anybody else in our space. And uh, I've been... And admirer from a distance for quite some time. You are, I, I like to call you, there's a few of you guys, but like the OGs, you're one of the OGs. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the original gangsters uh, doing this because it started in 08, right? Uh,
2: yeah, the site started in way, I believe, yeah, I guess so. And I haven't really <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> um, but it was at the tail end of the MySpace era. So if you want to put a context oh, to that,
1: oh, I, oh, yeah, I made a lot of money on MySpace selling my independent film. I was, it was, I was huge on MySpace, huge. MySpace was, I mean, we're we were talking like a bunch of
2: old old guys sitting around talking about the old days. Yeah, but yeah, MySpace was kind of how I got into the whole discussing film online. Mm -hmm. And it was the through the MySpace film forums. That's really kind of how IQ started. It was born there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a long story behind it. I don't know if you want to get into it, but it basically was uh, we wanted we were kind of kicked off of MySpace. (laughs) So we were both my my friend and I, Dennis was we were both banned from MySpace. And we said, hey, let's start our own site because. we for the longest time we didn't have moderate moderates moderators on mm-hmm. on uh, on the film forums, and then we've been clamoring. Let's get some moderators because there's probably people in here spamming constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend Dennis was uh, would always post very interesting articles, but he would bump the posts up to get them back to the top. He would post an article, but he would bump it up, and that was against the rules, you know, the moderators. So they banned him. One of the, one of the more you know important assets of the film forums was banned because he would bump up his old posts, and that's and so he said. And I fought for him and, and I got banned as well. And uh, <laughs> to hell with MySpace, and we went off to do our own site. Well, and so and nice and story. arguably
1: that worked out for you, okay? Because uh, <laughs> not many people talk about MySpace anymore. Um, is it still, around? I know it is still on, it's still around, it's right? It's
2: still on for, I guess, there's some bands that use it, you know, or some, some music in the music scene
1: still kind of uses it, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't it's, think it's SoundCloud is probably bigger than that, at that Oh, way more no yeah i I, I
2: mean this is probably dead yeah and
1: i think uh was it who who bought a fox fox paid like a billion for it Mm -hmm. um that was back in
2: the day yeah tom anderson had a nice little payday because everybody's friend remember if you
1: remember tom tom (laughs) Tom. so um so before we get going man how did you get into the business how did you get into the to loving what you do oh well you know uh, uh, it's, it's, it's to say you
2: love it, you know. It's 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 complicated to say you love what you do. I mean, I I love it so much that I'm willing to put up with all the crap that I do. Amen, brother. Preach. You know, that's it's not that I love I love every single waking date moment. No, I, I, I honestly am frustrated half the time, but I wouldn't do it if I wasn't if I was that if I re- didn't love it, I'd be doing something else. So I started off, I I made uh I made little videos and I grew up I was class of 2000, so I grew up in the late 90s. And I made little videos for my uh, for my high school we just is a budding, you know, uh, TV video production class. And I started doing just little projects, av- advertising on the morning announcements because we had closed circuit television back in those days. Uh, advertising the academic decathlon team. So I started making uh, spoofs of things. I made like a like a silent film spoof. I made a Titanic, which was really big back then, spoof. I uh, made a Mission Impossible spoof, which is, again, another movie franchise from the late 90s. And I kind of like – I started falling in love with the whole process of just making moving pictures. It's kind of like a, that's if – if you've if you read – if you heard Spielberg talk about how he got started, how when he was a kid, he had the, the little 8-millimeter eight, eight camera and he would shoot two trains running into each other. And, and he learned he could just shoot it and watch it over and over again. That's kind of the same way I got into, into video making or filmmaking is just I like creating things and just watching them over and over again. I kind of fell in love with that. Um, but as a kid, I always wanted to be uh, in business. I, I've always – because my father was international engineering, so I was always involved with some sort of bi- – I always loved the air of business. So I went to school to be a business major, and I found – I still like business, but I was like, ah, I still want to make videos. That's still what I want to do. So about my second year of of college, I decided, hey, I'm going to go uh, intern at – I want to see if I can make the, marry the two, become a business and and uh, and video, maybe do maybe like a producer in film. So I found a uh, – a, um, a small cable company that was out in uh, Corona, California, and they were doing commercials like local, local cable commercials. You know, it was really bad. Uh, you know, Cal Worthington
1: kind of style Sunday, Sunday, Sunday.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. So I interned <laughs> there for like a year. Like I just, just did it. Cause and like, I didn't even take class credit. I, Cause I was like, ah, I don't want to do the paperwork <laughs> for the credit. I just wanted to be there and hang out and do like little, these little movies, not movies, little commercials. I did that for a year. And, uh, I mean, I'm going more detail than I probably need to, but I did that for a year and then I was laid off by the company and my, the people that I worked with were laid off and I, and I kind of burned in me this, like this little independent streak, like, man, these guys I've known work for the company for 25 years. They built a family. They they depend on this job and the, the corporate culture comes in and just kind of axes them. And I'm like, Shh, I don't want to, I don't want to go work for the man. <laughs> so I just, so when I started to start doing my own business. Uh, and that was about 20 years ago or 18 years ago, 17, 18 years ago. And what was so that I've business? Doing, and what was that business? Oh, what do you mean? My own business? Just yeah. Video production. Okay. So any, like any kind of video production. In fact, I do, uh, that's primarily what I do. I mean, the the film, narrative filmmaking is something that I I, I want to aspire to more. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm actually doing a ton of, of video work for like, I do, I do work for cities and um Corporate corporate cult corporations that call me in to do like a, like a like a documentary about you know their corporate culture whatever they want to promote. Mm-hmm. So I so I ended up still using that business education of mine the business marketing, but I make uh, commercials and stuff like that.
1: So filmmaker IQ more was a side kind of like a side hustle for and more of a mm-hmm. labor of love for for
2: yeah. It's, I mean it's honestly a labor of love kind of thing. It's I mean I like to kind of push it more toward an actual uh, productive income generating stream, it's, it really is still more of a labor of love. And I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I don't want to, I don't want to kill it by, by making it too much of a, of a job necessarily. <laughs> Although I do want to do something to, you know, I do want to actually make it to be, be more of a job, I guess. Right. Do you want to call it that? I mean, I mean, I guess I'm being very candid and honest, <laughs> all the people <laughs> breaking their spells
0: about who I am and what I do. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, and
1: I've been doing this um, for, for five years. And I, and I still, I still say that I have the original filmmaking tutorial on YouTube. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was in 2005. I put up behind the scenes of my short film that's still up Mm -hmm. there. So I was one of the first to do that, but I never kept going with it. So a couple other guys like film riot and Ryan and those guys, did it and rocket jump and those guys um but uh a lot of people think that they have a different perception like i the, because of how good you do what you do the perception of what you do is like oh he's just you know this is this is amazing and he's just killing it and he's just rolling in it and it's like and a lot of people <laughs> yes. and a lot of people think that of me as well like oh he must be just killed i'm like you know what i make it i make i do okay I do okay, yeah, but I, but but I'm not Scrooge McDucking it anytime.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I even even I mean, I may be even wrong, but like I I think even someone like Martin Scorsese, who is all in terms of purposes hugely successful. <laughs> yeah. He still has trouble. He still has problems making the movies he wants to make half the time. You know, he's always complaining like I can't get the money to do this. Well to be to be fair, you know? to be
1: fair, Marty's not going after two, two or three hundred thousand dollars. He's going after exactly. two hundred million to make a movie yeah. that doesn't have a lot of marketability. <laughs> you have, that you know
2: you just hit on exactly how i feel about the situation yeah if he would just go for like a 10 million dollar movie you know get some people he's never worked with before he could he could get that money in an
0: instant
1: yeah exactly so, like i mean there's there's different like spike lee uh, woody allen uh, and those kind of i mean woody you know regardless of his personal life as a filmmaker he did something that i don't think there is another filmmaker of his generation did he made a movie a year for like 30 yeah. years Um, And he always kept his budget because he knew his art, his films had a specific audience that could generate a certain amount of money and he would be able to attract huge stars to come in and work scale for him because Mm -hmm. he was who he was. And he built that kind of system up for himself. And I don't think – I mean maybe Clint is another guy – that I would throw in that, but that's just a different. That's a different generation. That's a whole different other
0: world. Yeah.
1: But that's what they, what they were smart. Even Clint, like you know, he did that. What was that last movie he did with, um, oh, uh, the bomber. Richard Jewell. Yeah, Richard, Richard Jewell. Jewell. Yeah, Richard. I can't. I don't think Richard Jewell cost one hundred and fifty. I don't think no. that. Cost, no, no, it did cost one hundred and fifty. Because Clint knows, like you know, I'm gonna make a movie about Richard Jewell, and it's called Richard Jewell. Like people, are like what? <laughs> Who else in Hollywood, in a studio, is making Richard Jewell? <laughs> With a schlubby lead actor, it's like oh, I'm gonna put a schlubby guy in the front who no one's the, who post, no one's I know who no one's knows. Like it's not a face that people recognize. Yeah. So, but he's Clint, but he's smart. Like there's a there's a there's a, a budget range that makes sense for that movie. Marty still hasn't figured that out. yet. No, <laughs> you know that's
2: it, it, it's funny that you're articulating like one. I feel like I was a lone voice back when uh, what's the movie that Martin Irishman just finished irishman yeah. well, like irishman costs almost as much as spider-man homecoming you know like <laughs> how can you and it's that's that should be like if people are, well, well that's because we spend too much money on comic book movies well there's a bigger audience for the comic book movie you know mm-hmm. so it's spider-man so i, I don't know that, that that whole thing was you could just smell like the, the marketing you, that's because <laughs> i'm I mean, a business you... major you could feel it you know coming at you
1: no exactly and if you look at i mean if you look at someone like nolan Who also you know has a very expensive palette, but his films are for a very broad audience. Even though like Inception, (laughs) it makes my head hurt. It makes everyone's head hurt. Like thinking about the plotting in that film is is pretty insane. But for whatever but he brings in action, he brings in star, Mm -hmm. like he he understands his art form very well. Where Fincher has a little bit of that Scorsese vibe to him, which is like, you know, yeah. I really, I really need 150 million. But in like Fincher, we love you, man. But I, 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 I we can't. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: I, I love, I love the fact that we're talking about this because it's, it, you know, like so much of what I see online is kind of like, just give, give these guys 200, give Mark's Scorsese say $200 million because he deserves it. It's like, that's not how, yeah, that's, well, you that's not
1: business. Put your money into it first. <laughs> If you had 200 money put your put your dollar up in um, you know? like oh. so everyone we're talking about here we're all talking about giants so martin you know right. marty and 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 nolan and fincher and all these kind of guys they they're just giants they they live on mount hollywood i call it mount hollywood where where <laughs> right. where, where the, the, they're the gods the olympic they're uh, the greek gods of of hollywood um and and we're just the peasants throwing up stones, and I'm not throwing up stones at all because I'm huge fans of all of them. And believe me, if, if it was up to me, I would give Marty five hundred million dollars because I would love to see what he does with that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that on a business standpoint, it makes no sense. You you have to you have to have. If you're going to create a product, and I know a lot of filmmakers out there are going to go, film's not a product. I hate to tell you, it is. It is. So if you're going to have a product, that product has to have a cost. And there has to be mm-hmm. an ROI, return on investment. Now, if you want to do art films, you make that $5 million or that Woody Allen budget range film and do whatever the hell you want. Like, whatever you want. Because You'll make your money back because the, the ROI on a film like that makes sense for a, a mm-hmm. filmmaker of that caliber. But if not, then no. Like, look, Spielberg couldn't get Lincoln financed. You know, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg with Daniel Day Lewis as a star and couldn't get financing for for Lincoln. If Mar, if if Steve, and then the reason why he couldn't get that was because. The ROI essentially didn't look like who's going to go see a, a movie about and, Lincoln and, and like how, and, what's the budget range? Is it going
2: to make sense? And the and the way Spielberg was selling this movie, Lincoln, he was saying this is going to be a courtroom drama about the 14th Amendment. <laughs>
1: right. So it wasn't great marketing at all.
2: <laughs> that's that's
1: like, oh, yeah, that's summer block. That's a popcorn movie right there, right? <laughs> right. But So even so, someone is like one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, one of the most successful filmmakers of all time. Couldn't get financing for a film. And it wasn't like he was asking for Marty numbers because Marty, you know, is Marty. Um, yeah. But he was still asking for, you know, 70, 80 million, 90 million um, to make this kind of period piece film. It took, he had to go to India to get the money. Yeah. <laughs> And they wow. were just like, they were just happy to be making a movie with Spielberg. They're like, here, here's a check. And it worked out for him. And now Netflix is doing the same thing with Marty. I think he's, they're doing his next movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. So, mm-hmm. but that business model is different though. Irishman made sense in the Netflix ecosystem. Uh huh. It made, it made all the sense in the world to, to spend 150, $180 million in the Netflix ecosystem. In the Hollywood studio system, it makes absolutely no right. sense. It's just not fine. It's just makes no sense. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know much. I
2: don't know enough about the Netflix world. I mean, to me, the Netflix streaming stuff is still so speculative. Uh, we, there, No one knows exactly what the numbers are. I mean, and they purposely hide that. So I don't know. I mean, there, but I, know, I just know that Netflix is raising so much capital to make new properties. And part of me is like, well, why can't I get a piece of that action? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah.
1: Well, if, you know, if we could go we could go down the Netflix uh a, a hole in a se- for for a second, which from okay. what I'm hearing about Netflix is, well, I know for a fact that they're extremely in debt, uh extremely okay, yeah. in debt because they've just they've had this kind of. Don't forget, they were not a studio; they're a mm-hmm. they're a, a Silicon Valley startup. So they looked mm-hmm. they brought their entire business model as a Silicon Valley startup, meaning spend a lot of money, lose money for a long time to gain market share. And then right. you'll be at pro- the Amazon model, the Facebook model, every big you know, Airbnb model, all of those kind of models. Then it became a studio afterwards. But you know, they're, they're I don't know, man. It, it, everything's just like what we were talking about earlier. Is like it doesn't from what outside we look like we're Scrooge McDucking it. Netflix is the same thing. I think a lot of people have a different perception of Netflix. as like, oh, they're just killing it. Yeah, they're they're hurting. They're hurting I don't know yeah. if you know I don't know if you knew it or not but and this is not we're getting into a little bit of tech geek stuff sure since the pandemic Netflix has been extremely hurting because more people are watching Netflix yeah so the the the, the load on their servers and the technology and the cost of that has I think tripled but there are no new subscribers that can't to, to, to offset that. So that's just exi- – so now they're just like, oh, man, we've got this. Everyone's watching Netflix now. Great. Unfortunately, our business model is not set up for that. We just want a few people to be watching Netflix and pay for it but don't watch it. And that's that's what happened. So they actually started throttling. I don't know if you knew that. They started throttling the image quality just a bit because if they drop it 5%, that could be millions of dollars in service fees. Nice. So that, that's what's uh, that's that's one of the things enough. But I, but,
2: but enough about I buy it. it. No, yeah, I, buy, I, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting <laughs> to think about it. Because, yeah, like people, people who are losing their jobs are not getting new Netflix subscriptions.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: No, so and, and there is a have them. And there's also um, a critical a uh, level of critical mass when yeah. there are no more subscribers that they can get, but mm-hmm. yet they're going to have to keep spending Irishman style money for projects to keep what they have because now Disney's out and and I, I wanna, actually want that brings me to a, mm-hmm. another question I want to hear I want to talk to you about you know Disney Plus and the whole COVID situation and what happened and you know, Disney is already over 60 million as of this recording subscribers which it got and.
0: Wow. Less than
1: a year. It's insane. <laughs> now they're doing Mulan. So they're skipping uh-huh. theatrical. What do you think about that whole $30? Yeah. You've got to be a member of Disney Plus to watch it. And it's an experiment. It's literally, they're doing a $150 million experiment, which is what I was saying when everyone was talking about Trolls 2. Like, oh, Trolls 2 killed it. I'm like, dude, it's Trolls 2. It was the first like <laughs> month of the quarantine. Everybody, There's kids at home. Nobody knew what to do. Of course they're going to spend 20 bucks on Trolls 2. But I want to see a tentpole. Mulan is a tentpole. What mm-hmm. do you, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? What's your thoughts on it?
2: Oh, that's a you know, it's it's one, I, I hate the 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 cliche. It'll be interesting to see because I it's like you can say that about everything. Um, I I think it will probably be it'll probably do what well. this it's hard to say because we are in such a weird time right now. Um, because we can't go to the movie theaters so theatrical is not even an option for them. Um. As far as as far as what I think is gonna, I mean, I think it's an op it's it's an it's an extra experiment, but I'm not sure you can be repeated in next year uh, when theaters do eventually open up again. Can you do that? Can you see that same kind of success if people have the option to go back to theater? And again, I know theater is also one of those topics that people are feel is, it's very weird that every time I bring up theater, like on social media, or theatrical on social media, there's a group of people that want to see it die. No, I don't guys. understand. <laughs>
1: Why? <laughs> you noticed that? I I, I, mean, I, I I have. I have noticed that people are like, it's and I've 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 said it. I've said it many times. I'm like, I think I personally think that the, the theatrical experience as we knew it in January 2020 will not return to that level, probably ever again. We will never have as many screens like that again because it was all going in a downward, slow, downward. Trajectory. I mean theatrical mm-hmm. attendance and things. It's just what's happening. And, and regardless if you love it or not, I think there'll always be a theatrical – like there's there's Broadway plays. Yeah. There's always right. going to be a movie theater. There's always going to be IMAX. There's going to be an, exper- an experience like that. But um, it's never going to die. People still want to go out and do that. But right. yeah. the business model is going to change. So now – Disney could just go. You know what, guys? We're just going to release this for three weeks, and then we're going to go straight to Disney Plus. And if you don't like it, we'll just go straight to Disney Plus because we'll probably make enough money to cover that. Well,
2: I mean, I don't know if you followed the the courts just have want to overturn that Paramount decree. Mm -hmm. So, which I'm I think you know people are are, you know jumping overhead. How can we do this? I think the Paramount decrees are kind of long and done because they were made at a point when movies had no. Movies had only radio as a competition. It was 1948. (laughs) Right. You know, television was 50s. So television came in and kind of beat the crap out of movies. Um, And now we've got internet streaming, which let's face it, most people are probably doing instead of watching movies. So I think the time for a business model shift is probably here. Um, So, like what you're saying, as far as Disney, maybe Disney ends up buying a bunch of theaters where they become like Disney. Disney. more like the egyptian here
1: no no yeah. el capitan they have el capitan, el capitan here
2: yeah that's disney so maybe that happens in like st louis now they have a, a you know the disney el captain in 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 uh, st louis or wherever toledo you know and then that's all they do is they they show disney movies and i'm not a parent but imagine if you if i was a parent heck i take my kid to the disney theater once in a while it might be something that's worth
1: worth worth oh. pursuing and don't forget there will be a Disney store. Inside that Disney theater. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, the, and so, so for them, it's almost a loss leader to get you in the door to watch the movie because they're <laughs> going to sell you on other stuff. I mean, it's the truth. And that's in,
0: that's the
1: point. Yeah. it's the only way, like, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that theaters, uh, someone's going to buy AMC before the year's out. Mm-hmm. If not this year, end of next year, or be, be, be sometime in early next year, someone's going to buy Amazon's already circling. There's a lot of people with a lot of cash. Who could mm-hmm. just come in and buy it, and all of a sudden you have how many screens <laughs> all around the country? So right. and there's and there's uh, there's so many Regal and all these other things. They're hurting and they're 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 going to be vulnerable for purchase. I agree with you. There's only three major studios that have the power to do anything like that, uh, that have the financial power to do that, which would be Disney, Warner's, and Universal. But but the big unknowns, Facebook cash yeah. google amazon apple they have apple has oh yeah I'm, 400 billion it. cash yeah <laughs> hey, just cash and <laughs> an iPhone, apple store in every theater <laughs> no i mean so that is but that's the key to this it's, it's this kind of creating of of this ecosystem the disney's been i mean that's what disney does Disney, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, they're theme parks, they're cruises, yeah. they're, they're Disney stores. It's it's what they do. So there's no doubt that there's going to be a Disney chain. I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, 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 that, and in a world where we have the internet streaming, I don't see that as a bad thing because it's not, I don't feel like it's stifling competition because mm-hmm. it's not like these indie movies are getting into those big chains anyway. So um, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I exactly.
1: I don't think you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, AMC. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, some, but not like really indie movies. The theatrical experience for independent film is almost non-existent unless you really are at the top 1% of all independent yeah. films. Whether either you've got a a um uh, a yeah. tastemaker like sundance or south by or, or or an a24 or someone like that neon with these guys that can kind of come in and elevate elevate the art house vibe um and there's small movies that could do that and you have to really understand how you do marketing and audience building and all that kind of stuff but for like the standard you know isn't 100 And
2: yeah are also like these independent wings and in these major studios that because i mean if you're if you're Fox, Adam, or whatever, you know Searchlight Studios, or whatever, you can. That that's where you would see some sort of. Uh, you know, if you're partnering with a large studio, so far as independent. I mean, I'm not. I'm kind of speaking out of my experience there.
1: Yeah, but but, the, uh, but those kind of things have kind of fallen off to the wayside. It's not the yeah. early '90s anymore, where everybody like yeah. you know Paramount Vantage and Fox Searchlight and and you know Focus Film, like all of these small little. Um, independent oh, independence where the money's at. So of course they all made their independent labels. Um, but so do you think that, so do you think the theatrical experience, would you agree that it's going to be different? Do you think that it's going to be the Disney studios? Do you think, you know, IMAX I, is going to be a thing like how it's I going mean, to I mean, I
2: think it was changing before January, 2020. I mean, I, I noticed my, like, I I'm a big fan of the movie theater subscription model. Mm-hmm. personally because i just i was like for 20 bucks i can go to the movie theaters every weekend count me in and maybe i'll buy an extra popcorn and the you know get the movies will we'll make a little more money off of me so i was already way on board with the subscription model and then my amc just recently switched over to all the you know the big the big chairs and the, yeah. the more spaced out stuff and mm-hmm. i'm like yeah this is what I, I would i'll pay extra to do this so i mean we're no longer it's not that that, that you know sardines in a can kind of situation oh. they used to squeeze everybody in a the theater and the seats were like worse than you know airline seats or they were the same as airline seats but so i so i think that in that respect um but then again it's it, there's a there's an old there's a theater that does a second hand uh well, not second like second run theater yeah and whatever like a dollar theater yeah dollar theater and they used to always do they do like rocky horror every every three or four months right. and there's that there's a little bit of that that i'm like i i, I don't want to see that go away you know i want i want to be throwing popcorn at the screen and having just a you know, crazy time on the, in the theater so you know maybe but maybe the dollar theater model still kind of floats around as a side that doesn't mean you, you, you could have more than one you know model out there so yeah, it, it was changing. I think. Um, so and I think with uh, with the recent the COVID discussion about how we had to separate the seats and all that, it's going to be quite different at least for at least for the rest of this year.
1: Um, oh, for I think if, I think for the foreseeable future, it's gonna, there, foreseeable it, future. Yeah, I think the next two or three years, th- this is going to be uh, not exactly what we're going through right now, but mm-hmm. there'll be different versions of this moving forward. I, I think. Covid, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, in the no, way, yeah, it, right. it, it's going to be with us in one way, shape, or form. Um, we're not eradicating it anytime in the near yeah, future. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, and, the, and, the, and there's it, always the other uh, the, the question of what's next after Covid. You know, what what <laughs> uh, disease comes next that we all get? Well, there's out.
1: there's murder hornets, um,
0: <laughs> earthquakes. <sighs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now back to the show.
1: Um, explosions. I mean, there's just so a, there's. A, I'm sure there's a meteor on its way as we speak. <laughs> just, everyone busts out a deep impact and Armageddon so we can figure out how we deal with it. Yeah, but there's it's coming. It's,
2: it's coming. The secret. <laughs> the secret is oil. Oil. Oil drillers. That's how we get through the next.
1: <laughs> no, let's not train to astronauts to drill. Let's train no. drillers to be astronauts in five days. Yes, this. <laughs> This makes all the sense in the world, but hell, what a hell of a romp of a film! I love Armageddon. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a
0: guilty that's, pleasure.
1: <laughs> that's going back a ways. I mean, look, I, look, I'll watch Armageddon before I'll watch Deep Impact. Like I, I watched Deep Impact yeah. once. I've seen Armageddon probably ten times oh, yeah? in my life. So,
0: <laughs>
1: you uh, know,
2: uh, what's the uh, what was it? The every frame of painting did the whole thing on yeah. Bayhem. Oh yeah, but that's what, a that's a really good good uh video just discussion about him. He gets so little respect for for being kind of just visually interesting. Oh, oh even though his even though his storylines might be stupid, but you got to give it to him,
1: man. I he say, knows how to I, f- frame a shot. I said this I, I've said this publicly before and I'll say it again. There's action films before Michael Bay, and there's action films yeah. after Michael Bay, and the same thing happened with Ridley Scott when Ridley, uh, not Ridley, uh, Tony Scott when Tony Scott showed up. There's action films before Tony. There's action shots there's films oh. after Tony. They shift the visual medium. Michael Bay, everybody wanted to look had their action films to look like Michael Bay. They just did, and you yeah. could see them. They just they copied oh, yeah. the shots, and they never got it right. And you know, there's there's guys out there who remain nameless directors who really, really like were on top of trying to exactly do what Michael Bay did and all this kind of stuff. Regardless, you love him or hate him, like The Rock is still probably my favorite Michael Bay film of all time um, and it still holds up as probably the best story. Um, But, love him or hate him, you've got to respect the visual prowess of what he's been able to do. I mean, it's, there is nobody in the history of film that did what he's done you know, do I like all his films? N- n- no. Um, but visually, I mean, well, he so changed the, last the game. One he did
2: for Netflix. Um,
1: oh yeah the one with um with uh ryan reynolds, reynolds. yeah that wasn't bad but, but you could I, tell I, it's you could tell it's it's michael like the second a frame yeah, shows they, up oh yeah that's it. i mean there's a lot of stupid stuff but you're looking at it like like whoa i never thought you would do that
2: in a frame it's like there's so much clever visual stuff that's going on it's yeah sure it's wrapped in some some kind of silliness from in my taste but like i can appreciate the fact that the there's 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 just so sit set pieces that are like this is very creative this is very ingenious so yeah, I, I end up really liking that that movie. Yeah, probably, I can't remember the name of
1: it. but oh, I was like six something, six or something six, like that. Yeah, something like that. Something, something six. six. Yeah, it was like the six ghost yeah. ghost guys out there doing what they do. Um, but um, going real back to theaters, real quick. I mean, I've always mm-hmm. said that theaters have had a combative relationship with their customer base um, for a <laughs> long. I mean, it, it, it's first of all, the experience used to suck. Um. So yeah. it was this. It was sardines, sticky floors, stale popcorn, and then they charge you inside forty five dollars for a coke, um, seventy five dollars mm-hmm. for a uh, for a popcorn. Like yeah. it's like it's almost like um, <laughs> it's almost like uh, airport <laughs> food yeah. costs. So and they never really cared a lot, but then slowly but surely as their numbers started to go down, they're like, oh wait a minute, we've got to create a better experience because we're not the only show in town anymore. And that's when these Seats mm-hmm. started showing up, and and bars like in like the AMC here in Burbank has like a bar inside of it, and it's like you know special seatings, and the sound got better. But it's like you know for a certain generation, we all remember like, and they're still abusive. I still think they're abusive no, in the pricing. They're
2: totally, just so abusive well, in the pricing for a beer. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, so no, there's. Still- well I was gonna say that the other day I was thinking about this and I forgot to mention it but yeah if you if the if this Disney owned I mean Disney's not gonna Disney's
1: not gonna lower the price I think <laughs> oh no but get- their experience look when you walk into Disneyland or Disney World oh yeah you just I, my wife and I every time we drive into the parking lot to one of those places we just go let the beating begin. <laughs> because you are you're just being charged dr- like twenty five dollars for parking, and you boom, boom, yeah. boom, like and you're just and you're in there. But the experience they are offering you a very high quality experience for the most part. So that's what you get. But you don't get that with a standard movie theater. Like right? It, well, have you ever been to the they, El Capitan? No, I haven't. I need to go. So when I went to the, when I went to El Capitan, I saw Frozen there with my daughters, uh-huh. and uh, they had like. The princess came out and did like a pre-show and yeah. and there's this stuff. It was like, you know, it's Disney everything and next door there's a Disney store and it's like this whole experience and the price honestly wasn't much different than a normal movie theater. So I was like, okay, this is – this makes sense.
2: This makes sense. Well, I think I think my, the point I uh, was trying to make was that I think if, if – let's say – let's not pick Disney. Let's say like Amazon or something owns a studio or owns mm-hmm. a theater. You might – Conceivably, see a, a lowering of the costs of like concessions oh. because traditionally the, the argument was that concessions is where the movie theater makes money. Well, if the movie theater is owned by the studio, then the, they're also making money on the, on the uh, ticket price.
0: Right. So,
2: conceivably, they can lower the, you know, popcorn being $7 for
1: a small, maybe it's $5 for a small. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's still abusive time. and that's still abusive, but sure. But it's this three is two three dollars less. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah,
2: agreed.
1: So um, that might be that might be a benefit that comes out of it. I don't know. We'll see. it's a different business model. I mean, since you're a business yeah. major, so if you look at a business models of of, the, of theaters, it's they get you know fifty percent or. You know, forty uh, percent or thirty percent, depending on the big, how big the movie is and the week it's mm-hmm. coming out. So you get a small percentage of the, of of the box office. All their money is made at concessions. But if the studio owns the the space, then they get a hundred percent of royal, of the sales at the box mm-hmm. office, and they get a little bit off of royalties off of the um concessions. But where they start making their money is off of ancillary products. And right. so if there's a Warner Brothers style um theater chain, then there'd be all sorts of Warner Brothers and you could buy the poster of the movie. You yeah. could buy all the merch for that movie that week and it's it's rotating in and out every week and it, it makes sense. That's a different business model than what we have currently and it's going to change. There's just no... I mean, Arclight, you've been to ArcLights, I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they have that little store on the side that has like, the, you know, the movie memorabilia stuff and sometimes they would bring out stuff but it's kind of like almost... A, not a throwaway but it's not... Themed out like a Warner Brothers or a Disney, uh, or even an Amazon um, mm-hmm. theater would have, because it, and with Amazon's um, data on people's buying habits, they know what products are going to be out there, and they're yeah. going to have you just walk in with your app, pick up the thing, and walk out, and they charge your Amazon account. I mean, it's <laughs> oh boy, that'd be that'd well. They have that'd those be stores. That, convenient. They have those stores now. They have the bookstore now, like that, the Amazon bookstore that you walk not, in. Not- not to get sidetracked
2: too much, but I'll just tell you a story about yesterday. I was yeah. returning something from Amazon, and I found out that Amazon has this Kohl's thing where you go into Kohl's and you just drop yeah. off your product. And I did that. And then the, the Kohl's said, thank you for dropping off. Here's a 25% coupon for Kohl's. And I was so impressed by it that I actually bought something. <laughs> I was like, I need some sandals. And I just bought them. And I was like, this is, br- this is such a brilliant idea because it's a great service for me because I don't have to package it. I don't have to take it to UPS. I don't have to worry about that. And uh, gets me in their store, and I got I got what I wanted. I needed some sandals, so I I finally got have, my sandals, and I got a coupon for
0: it.
1: So for Coles, so it's yeah. For Coles, it's a little bit you know a little bit we more hassle. One person
0: staff, yeah. one
1: person staff to deal with it, and more foot traffic. And Amazon's like, I we need more, we need real estate. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll give you traffic. You give us the real estate. Well, it's a deal. Yeah. <sighs> really? It, it is. It's, it is fairly, fairly brilliant. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about production, film production. Okay. Um,
0: yeah.
1: What do you think it's going to look like? I mean, you're shooting now. Like, how how is it working? You know, shooting with, you know, with this COVID stuff. I mean, yeah. for one-man crew or, or short, like, two-man crew is one thing. But, like, for narrative, TV show, like, I, I don't know how you move forward right right now, I- at least. I
2: real I agree with you. I I mean I I do one man two man things operations. I do and well, I work with corporate clients of including school districts and what it just it's a lot. I mean I don't get uh, I don't want to sound too uh, too dangerously political, I guess, but it, it's it's a lot about optics. It's about appearing to look like you're doing. I mean you, have to, you wear the masks, you stay your do your social distancing. You you do apply uh you know you apply the 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 hand sanitizers and all that. But it, it really just comes down to, we just have to look like we're doing our jobs. And unfortunately um, with, 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 when you get to larger narratives, when you have lots of groups of, pe- you know, hair, makeup and, and sets and all that, mm. and
0: just 30, 40 people cruise. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back
2: to the show. It's hard to maintain those optics. I mean, you can, there's there's a whole movement about, you know, getting so many people trained in, you know, uh, health and safety and having that one person on set. And look, is that really going to make that much of a difference? Or is that, you're just kind of, it's just a CYA maneuver. Um, I I don't know. You know, I I don't, I, I don't. I don't see us really getting into like traditional, and this is like, it's, 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 look, I guess was look. I don't know if you've uh, you've probably been affected, but I think I feel like a lot the society in general has been had like overhanging depression because oh. of all of this.
1: Yeah, you know? it was like so, um I, like obama like Michelle Obama came out and she says she has low grade depression, and uh, I think it was everyone it, does. And, and I think what Seth Meyers said is like when you go low, I go high. I have high grade depression. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's very, it's very true. No, there is, a, there, I mean, I don't know why I do this, but I watch the news every day um, and I just watch 30 minutes of <laughs> it. it just, I, I know yeah. it's, I watch network news and I just watch it just to, just to find out what's going on, yeah. Yeah. just, just to stay informed because we've got kind of, got kind of got to know what's going on. I mean, because yeah. I never was a, a person who watched the news. Like I just, I'm like, you know what, if it's big enough, I'll hear about it I'll find it mm-hmm. on my Facebook feed or someone will tell me about it. Um, and now it's just like, things are changing so rapidly and craziness is happening on a daily basis that you kind of have to stay for. And, you know, I, I sit there with my wife, with my wife and I just turned to am like, why, 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 do I, why are we doing this? I don't under, you know, we're hope we're praying for that last segment, which is like how a puppy saved someone with COVID. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's yeah. like, that's, we're praying for that one happy moment <laughs> at the end of the, of the broadcast. Yeah. That's what,
2: well. That's so, that's sort depressing because I think you know I'm trying to if I try to put together like a small production and I'm and I'm not I'm not throwing lots of money at it. I'm just gonna you know put together a little s- short film or something. I can't really foreseeably do that in the next you know few months. Oh, um no. Just because if I wanted to cast it, it, it would be difficult because there's gonna be half of your cast is probably saying well I'm not gonna or not even interested in, in working in, in something right now. They don't want to be in anything, you know. And I'm not gonna be paying them like, huge amounts of money. This is more of like a for fun project. How can you? It's hard to justify, it and it's hard to even even look like you, you're doing. I don't know. I'm watching I'm watching old movies and thinking like, huh? I wish we could hug people like that in a movie, because you can't do any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, so like I how, don't know what's
2: gonna happen.
1: Love scenes. How can you do a love scene? <laughs> no. How can you do a fight? Like a like a no. like a like a a fight fight. Like a close combat fight. No, you can't do it. I mean, it, it, it's. I know. I mean, someone like Tyler Perry, who has an infrastructure that makes all the sense in the world, he's popping out content like crazy, and he was—he's a guy who creates content like he creates like Uh, uh, like fifty episodes of a show in like four weeks or something like that. It's like
2: flow is amazing. I mean, he
1: just pumps it out. But he has this—he is a unique person because he has an entire movie studio at his disposal, which he can quarantine, lock it down, and everyone's in a bubble for that time, and you can shoot. That makes sense. But no, we're not set up for that. Like, that's never been a thing. And that's in the studio world, let alone in the indie world. I actually did a whole episode about COVID safety because I went for a bike ride and I saw, of course, independent filmmakers on the side of the road in my neighborhood shooting a short or some scenes um, that were COVID related because the guys were dressed up in like you know hazmat suits and stuff.
0: Okay,
1: and I'm just and they nobody was when they had the hazmat suit off, but the head was off. They were all clunked together in a small group talking. The actors were all talking, and then the d- director and DP were setting something up over there. And that nobody had masks on. And I'm like, this this is so irresponsible. Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't do that. Like I couldn't as a film director put my cast or crew in harm's way right now with for a film like Mm -hmm. it's not worth it right now it it, it just doesn't make any sense to do something like that i i I can't in good good conscience i'll
2: send it further too i mean look i'm i may not if if someone and i'm not saying my i i disagree but i'm saying if you even if you think it's not an issue you can't get other people to do it you know, what I mean, it's it's like so you're you're just unless you find like a bunch of people that all agree that, oh, we're going to take the risk. But that's not fun. That's not the point of making films. Um, you, you know, you right. to have
1: opinion. So it's I don't I. Yeah, we're all independent. Film, we're all, independent film is going to have a rough time for the next few years and, and people are going to have fun. to get very creative. You know they're gonna if they are gonna do something, it's gonna be you know kind of like what I did with my last film, which was well last last film I couldn't do now is because going to Sundance and shooting at Sundance, um, which is something I can't do right now. But it was a small crew, yeah. it was a three three man crew, it was me, the uh-huh. DP, and the sound guy, and then my actors, uh-huh. and that was it. And I was running around. So you you, you have to you have to start getting creative um, in 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 the storytelling process on how to do it. Like I've been hearing from the studios, and people in the studios that. They're saying when you're writing, no crowds, don't put this in, don't put that in anymore. No more love scenes, you know, like do figure out another way to do it. If we, if we're going to continue to move. So I think there's going to be a COVID era in filmmaking yeah. where after we're done with everything that's in the can, we're going to start seeing films and television shows that are going to be just like, Oh, that was in the COVID era. And, yeah. and it's going to be like, they can't kiss, they can't touch. It's like this whole weird yeah. thing um, but I think that's what's going to happen. And independent film, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm waiting for the next great COVID era independent film, like the El Mariachi of this era. I don't know what that will be. You know, that's going to like take the world by storm, like the the paranormal, like paranormal activity. Perfect COVID movie. Like, perfect covid movie well, like you can see in per- bed
2: together though that's a problem
1: no 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 <laughs> but if, they're, if they've quarantined together they're fine you oh, okay know? they're fine they- okay gotcha so again but this is small crew very mm-hmm. small amount you know if you quarantine with somebody for two weeks and everyone's all we're all good all right great let's let's go and we're all in a house and it's very controlled and mm-hmm. that's the kind of films i think we're going to be seeing coming out yeah
2: I mean, I always think about, like, what what will future generations look back and, and ask us, you know, like, oh, you lived through that era. What was it like? It's <laughs> it's going to be an interesting story to tell the grandkids.
1: no So, now, so uh, I want to go back real quick to Filmmaker IQ, man, yeah. because I, I just – right. I love – what you do with filmmaker IQ? You've you've created some amazing. Okay. I've promoted your stuff over the years, as far as those little mini documentaries you make over, like you know, a lens, the depth of field, yeah. uh, the the one eighty rule, like, and all you know, all this color and twenty eight frames and twenty four frames a second, all this kind of stuff. How? Why do you do it? Because It's a lot of work, dude. It's a it's like a ton I can of work. S- it's a ton. You've got the little 3D image, the th- 3D guys coming yeah. out, setting all that. I mean, to create a 15 minute video must take you forever.
2: Well, the last video I did was started at the beginning of the COVID thing was that Fox video, mm-hmm. uh, the William, history of William Fox, and it being like 43 minutes long. And it was a ton of research just trying to go. Well, I mean, why do I why why did I mean, I think it's also it's it's a uh. It's a self-expression kind of a thing. I, I really enjoy um, – I just really enjoy exploring the truth of a topic like that and kind of going in depth into it because I don't – I feel like no one else is really kind of tackling it the way that, that I do, which is just yeah. un, unrelenting <laughs> depth. Oh, just it's
1: just obscene, like, obscene obsessive. depth. 15 yeah, and minutes and I, and totally, on, on, on focus like or on depth of field oh, i yeah. think like 15 minutes of that like it was like but it's so entertaining and like you go into which, the history of it and it's like the lenses and the breakdowns all oh, that's great
2: <laughs> and of which i will get like plenty of youtube comments that will argue with me and tell me i'm completely wrong because <laughs> i have not done the research oh, obviously uh, yeah but uh now i you know it's also born i, I think I've, i have a i have an internet forum personality where i do like to go on on i i unfortunately read all the comments and i engage and don't do that
1: I, don't do that
2: yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's a habit uh, It's <laughs> part of who who i am it, it can, a lot of stuff drives sometimes the ideas for new content was based on oh that person made a mistake about that so i want to talk about that particular point <laughs> you know but uh it's 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 kind of in that in that range that's that's you know i want to get to the point where i don't where i can no longer read comments because there's too many of them that's 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 my goal (laughs) but until then i'm just i'm stuck arguing about 24 frames a second every day
1: yeah i (laughs) mean I mean and the depth that you do in these videos is pretty insane and the research that goes into them is is insane the production of them and again you've been doing this for years now over a decade
0: yeah.
1: you know you've been you've been doing cuz some of well, these this, some of those little documentaries the ones with the little the little dude I call them the little dudes I don't know if you have not specific dudes, yeah. the, the 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 little 3D dudes they go back 7 8 years yeah, about eight years.
2: That's when we started doing the videos because we were when we first started filmmaker IQ it was more of an aggregator site, a blog site, mm-hmm. and we we do like what all the other bloggers do is just go out and try to find articles and post them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the funny thing is, you, if you do that long enough, you kind of get a very good sense of what the blogosphere looks like, and you get kind of disgusted by it,
0: like oh, I've seen the same thing over again. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor now back to the show. So you decided at that point, like, ah, we should start making our own
2: stuff instead of relying on other people to make stuff. So that's when the videos started happening. That's, and the first one was like Dolly Zoom when I first <laughs> explored that topic. But, yeah, uh, but I think I think what it is, is um, I, 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 I've talked to some people about this, but I feel like filmmakers have like a like 80 like percent of filmmakers have an expiration date of like, say, I want to say like three or four years. Like so I think three or four years it takes to learn everything about filmmaking. And it's still that fun, like exciting. Oh, I get to learn about this camera. This new camera's coming out. So about three or four years, you absorb all this information. And then after that, you either, if you love it, you continue on and you and you pursue like story and you pursue creation of actual and we just said a product. You know, you, you get over the the uh oh this is exciting or this learning thing. And then the other Segment of the population just loses interest and they they disappear so i feel like a lot of what the growth in in the internet is capturing that first like three or four years of people that are just starting to learn this stuff and uh what's scary about that is there's so much marketing there's so much like Mm. you know the the manufacturers are shoving down marketing information down your throat like 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 i'm just i'm gonna pick on them Black magic just came. I knew out. you were gonna say. I knew you were gonna yeah, say black you know magic. <laughs> well, 12k camera, and they're saying it's revolutionary. It doesn't have a Bayer system, and I'm sitting back here thinking, the Bayer system's a good thing. <laughs> There's people online saying the Bayer system sucks now because mm-hmm. this new marketing is coming down and slapping them with this new. We got this new system of camera. Um, I so. I don't know where I'm going with all. (laughs) Well, I mean,
1: but it started with red. Red was the one that first came out with 4k and just like exploded. I remember at NAB when it was a box, it was a box and they're like, just give us $10,000 and you will get a camera one day. And like, that was insane. And they sold like whatever, 500 cameras that during NAB at that time. And they changed the game. Red changed the game. Love them or hate them. They changed the game. Mm-hmm. Aerie took a while to catch up. And now people argue all the time. Aerie's better than Red, Sony's better than Airy and, and Black Magic is now, you know, Black Magic was like another kind of redheaded stepchild for a long time. And now they've kind of come into their own as a a real player in the camera game. You know, and I've always said personal, I'm a big I love Black Magic. I've, I've had, i do I've, too I've, I've shot Black Magic, I've shot both my features on them um and i i love black magic cameras and davinci i edit and resolve and you know i drank the kool-aid because i feel because i feel that they have the best bang for the buck uh, mm-hmm. i think out of all the cinematic cameras i think they have the best bang for the buck and i i did some tests once and i shot an Arri down the middle an Arri alexa down the middle and i shot the 4.6k black magic down the middle and i put them up and i and i brought in some filmmakers and some DPS, I'm like, which is which? And mm-hmm. nine out of the ten times, they couldn't, they could not tell the difference because the black magic image it lit the same, everything was same, same lenses, same everything. The image is equivalent. It's not. You can, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, No, what are you saying? I'm like, No, listen, calm the hell down. Where the the cost, the reason why the the, the Alexa costs so much more, is when you start going three or four stops under, five stops yeah. under. It, it falls apart. The black magic falls apart. But if you shoot it like when you're supposed to shoot it, it's pretty damn good. And the cost versus like yeah. 80,000 80, versus this, a really easy workflow versus a fairly intense workflow in post. All of all of that, you just gotta kind of look. And now the twelve k, what is it? How much does it cost? Ten thousand? Ten thousand dollars. Yeah. I, I you know I'm, I'm not gonna it's, get it. I'm fine with my. I have a four point six. I'm good it's yeah
2: like it's an interesting camera the thing is i've seen a lot of people jump on board with it and it's just i don't feel like the, the existence of a 12k camera does not invalidate your 4.6 k camera right you know but it feels like a lot of people are are thinking that and and, and that's marketing I mean, it's not and look grant petty's I, I, he's he did a good job on his video but i think it's the it's the next layer it's the people that talk about what he said that are kind of over hyping it and uh that's that's what that's what bugs me about kind of marketing. And that's kind of what I've tried to do with my videos a little bit, is trying to get down to the fundamentals, get down to the understanding of how what does what does it mean when they say bayer system or what bayer pattern, you know? Uh what does that mean? And then kind of cut through some of that marketing hype that you're just constantly inundated with. And uh that's so that's going back, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with some, some of these videos.
1: So, like, yeah, when black when Black Magic came out with the 4K, uh the little mini pocket 4K. Then that everybody was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's a pocket 4K," and then like five months later, four months later, the 6K comes out, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me, guys? Are you are you effing kidding me? Really? Yeah. Like, can you can you stop it? Can you can you <laughs> just not? Do- and I know the Black Magic guys. I've worked with Black Magic. I yell at them all the time. I'll go like, "Dude, dude, seriously, man, like, just give us a year." Give us like some time to like enjoy what we have.
2: Like I'll give you a better one. I have the uh, Atom Mini which I bought uh, like early, well, I think early this year. They came with the Atom Mini Pro, which I bought because I like because I need that multi-cam view, which is what it added to the system. And then a month later, or like a w- the week I got it after being on back order for a month, they announced the Atom Mini Pro ISO, which can record all f- all your camera streams at the same time. So it's like literally like a month after I got this thing, a brand new one came out. And I'm looking at it like, "Ah, I that's a great feature to have. Do I need it?" Not really. But man, I wish I had that option. That's the thing. It's like you have to get used to the fact like, "Hey, you know what? I can I need to stop buying technology and make stuff with the ha- stuff I have, uh, I have purchased." Amen.
1: Like, that's that's what I need to do. Well, I think uh, and I think a lot of filmmakers use technology as an excuse not to actually get into the arena. Cool. Um, yeah that's so true I, I mean so many filmmakers just like oh i can't shoot it because i need this camera um or oh, i can't shoot it because i need that camera
2: what i what i argue when people argue with me about 24 frames a second and people say that they want a high frame rate of uh, movies uh, I, I always say go out there and shoot them yourself like you, you be the change you 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 go out. and then every single time they always tell me i can't because i don't have any of this i don't have any equipment i don't have any castor- so it's always it's always an excuse
1: to to uh well, to get out of making something. Well, listen, man. Uh, I mean, I I've, I've been in, I've been a filmmaker for 20 odd 25 years plus and I understand the excuse demon um because yeah. it's fear. We're fearful mm-hmm. of putting ourselves out there. We're fearful of creating art and oh my god no one's gonna like it the comments holy cow um all of that kind of stuff and and not to mention the the pressure of if it's you know the cost and people you're working with and can i really do it and all of the there's so many doubts and fears that we as filmmakers have that we find whatever excuse look same thing happens with screenwriters that's like oh i'll I'll write tomorrow um or it's, it's like there's fear as an artist in general there's always fear and gear is the one of the easiest things you can say like oh i don't have this camera i don't have that camera Uh, or i don't have this lighting oh i need that location or i can't make this script without three million like i can't just, i just i can't not to say i'm not gonna go write a script that can make for ten thousand, but at this script i can't make so i'm gonna just sit around for three years chasing money for it and that makes me feel like i'm a filmmaker but you're really not a filmmaker you're yeah. just a guy or a gal chasing money that will more unlikely never happen. And I, I played that game for 20 years. Yeah. 20 years I played that game. till so I turned 40 and I was attached to another big project with a big producer and screenwriter and the, the project fell apart again. And I said, I'm 40. I can't do this anymore. So 30 days later, I was shooting my first feature. With a uh-huh. Blackmagic Cinema 2.5K, why? Because I had it. Did you have? Yeah. And and I didn't even hire a DP. I lit the damn thing myself, and I never really DP'd before. I was a colorist for ten years, yeah. so I felt that I could get it. I just get me it down the middle. I'll fix it in post, and I Man, did. You're you're inspiring me, Alex. Man, I need to run <laughs> my button, something. But I did. But that's the that story. But the thing is that I didn't. I I made it because I I was already in with indie film hustle at that time, so. I felt very comfortable I, for whatever it was, something psychological, but I just felt, Oh, I have indie film house. I can go back to like I have mm-hmm. my, I have my tribe. So if it doesn't work out, eh, no big deal. Because I don't know about you, but in my mind, when I made my first feature, it was going to be reservoir dogs. I mean, I don't know about you, but it was going to be reservoir dogs. It was going to be mariachi. It was going to be clerks. It was going to be one of these big independent sure. films that explode out of the gate. So that pressure that I put on myself stifled me for 20 years. And of course I was fearful, and of course I was chasing every other dream and every other little project
0: and everything else because I was scared to actually go do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. Whereas when
1: I finally just said, you know what? Screw it, I'm gonna just go out and shoot it. 30 days later we shot with a scriptment, which was a eight page outline. With a bunch of stand-up comics and improvisers, and we shot around our, uh, we shot at all their apartments and around L.A., and we shot the whole damn thing in eight days. Um, I went up to the Hollywood sign and and stole it, Um, (laughs) which by the way, anyone wanting to shoot on the Hollywood sign, this is this is a little tip if you just want to, because if you want to get permits and stuff, it becomes a pain in the ass. But, (laughs) uh, yeah. So I was like, I'm just gonna steal it. And like halfway, and we were really, I was scared. Like, oh my god, what do we get? This is the Hollywood sign. Oh my god, halfway up while I'm lugging the gear up with my actress. My actress is walking in front of me, and I'm, I've got all this gear I'm, I'm lugging up. And I said, no one's coming. No <laughs> one cares. cares. No one cares. No one Like, if someone called them, hey, someone's illegally shooting, By the they're not helicoptering somebody in. By the time they get up there, I'm done with my shot. So... Yeah. I just realized I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I don't, I could just shoot. And we shot and it was all these cool I- images and stuff that we got up there, but I didn't give my mind a, a, a moment to stop itself because yeah. it was afraid and I just did it and I was done and I got it out there and, and it, it sold to Hulu and we sold it internationally and we did very well with it and, and it was cost, cost like five grand to make and it was great, but that was, I had to, it took me 20 years to get there. Because of yeah. the fear, and I think gear was one of the. Oh man, I I need a red. I can't. I need oh, yeah. a red. I need a red. I, I can't. I need a Alexa. I need to have all this. Stuff. Oh, I need. I need. I need a techno. How can I not shoot without I a techno? No, of I course mean, not. Have you ever shot? Have you ever shot with a techno? By the way, no, I've seen them, but I never touched. On, I was shooting a music video, and I had a techno the entire day. First time I ever sh- I had one. Oh my god, it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, <that. laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> it lived on the tech all day. Just I just like. I can't, I can't, I can't shoot without a mini techno everywhere I go. It was so <laughs> amazing to have that thing. I was just like, "Oh, I get why James Cameron has like twenty of these on the set just in case." <laughs> 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 but, um, but anyway, so that's the that's the fear thing. So uh, I, I think, think gear is that. We we kind
2: of talking about gear fear fear of gear, but I think it's also the the fear of actually materializing your idea because as long as it's an idea in your head it's brilliant it's perfect you know the movie oh, in your head yeah. is is, a, is Oscar winning you put it on paper and then you start realizing oh crap it's maybe it's mm. not that good
0: and
1: then <laughs> you start shooting
2: oh mm, maybe yeah or you see it oh, oh crap this isn't really as good as I thought it was gonna be it's a fear.
1: No, it, it is. It, it's scary, man. It's scary being a filmmaker and doing all that. But you know, anyone listening out there, I hope they don't get caught up that because tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll be you know seventy, and you'll be yeah. still chasing that 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 Hollywood dream that Hollywood sells you that is bogus. It's the sizzle. There's yeah. no stake behind it, and you kind of just got to go out and do it. Like my second film, I shot with the pocket camera, 1080p, the yeah. first generation pocket camera. I shot the whole movie yeah. on that. People thought where well, I was crazy. Thought it was crazy to shoot a whole film on that. I'm like, no, I love the look of it. It looks great, Uh and it was a 1080p camera, right? Blew it up to 2k for a for my DCP. Screened it at the Chinese theater. It's one of the best things I've ever shot in my life. It was beautifully shot. I was like, I can't. I was was scared to death because on my 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 55 inch you know, a color grading monitor, it looked great. I'm like, yeah, but this is projection. Like, I don't know, and and the first time I saw it was at the Chinese theater projected theatrically. I was like, holy cow, it holds. Like, I thought it was gonna get Like, It held so beautifully. So I don't want to hear excuses from people, like, oh, this and that. And if you want to go to Tangerine with the iPhone, and just worry about your story. People will Mm -hmm. forgive the image quality. And don't get caught up in like, dude, you're not deacons. Like, you're not deacons. Anyone listening, you're not Roger Deakins. You're not going to make something look like Roger Deakins. I'm sorry. It's because there's one Roger Deakins. You're not going right. to be Fincher. You're not going to be Nolan. You're not going to be Spielberg because they're that's what they do. And it took them years, if not decades, to get to where they are. Be yourself and be the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's all we could ever do as a filmmaker. That's, that's a fantastic message.
2: Now, no, Deakins doesn't work alone. He's got you know script. Or, uh set dressers, he's got you know location scouts and all the basically all the all the resources at his disposal. Exposure, uh, yeah. But I was I was gonna say that, and this might sound a little narcissistic, but if if some if it was between me and Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg was given like 15 minutes to work a scene and shoot it, and I was given eight hours to, to shoot the scene, and I had the same people that Steven Spielberg has. I think I would probably hold up. At least I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't embarrass myself. I think
1: you get something uh, competent I, up there. It, 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 yeah, it, it'd be something there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I know what you're saying. You're not saying that you're Steven Spielberg, nor that right. you can compete at that level because he's Steven Spielberg. No one can. Exactly. But if you use the same crew, the same resources, chances are your stuff is going to look. It would be
2: more presentable John Hess than it would be Steven Spielberg, but it would still be okay. I mean, it, it's especially given a time time difference. That I had if I had a lot more time than Steven Spielberg. Eh, I might pull off
1: something, you yeah, know? something that looks really good. Like you know, yeah. something that looks really good. Um, and then uh, before before we go, man, I gotta ask you, cats. Oh, okay, cats. I mean, <laughs> come on. Let's let's yeah, let's talk about cats for a second because I, you, you wrote a, you yeah. you did a video about that you like cats. And um, I've spoken about Cats publicly many times. Okay. And I generally don't like to bash other filmmakers uh, on the the show. And I'm not bashing the filmmaker. Something happened, in my opinion. I don't know what it was because it was such a perfect storm that you will (laughs) never see in your lifetime again because you had Spielberg producing. You had an Oscar winner directing it. You had, based on one of the biggest Broadway shows of all time with the biggest... Music stars of all time, some Oscar like Oscar, they were throwing Oscar winners around like it was water on that set, mm-hmm. and to and everyone drank the Kool Aid. Like everyone said, this is going to be huge. This is a great idea. That doesn't happen, you know. You get the room every once in a while. Like you'll get the yeah. room, you'll get a Showgirls, you'll get a Trolls Two, you'll get something that's <laughs> so bad that it transcends being good. I'm still not at the point where Cats transcends to being good. I got through yeah. 20 minutes of it and I just said, oh my god, this is so bad. I can't keep going. Maybe with a group of people I could watch it again. But I can't, the room I could watch again and again. But I can't watch Cats.
2: <laughs> well, I think with Cats, I think what to me, to me is I enjoyed – I really liked – basically – the garishness of it is part of it. You know, the first twenty minutes is when you have when you have the Jenny Any Dot sequence, when you have the kids and the cockroaches. Oh, that's, that is a bridge too far. That I think that's <laughs> think? the worst, That's the worst part of the movie. I guarantee. I, I, oh, it I gets better. It you. gets better. It gets better. Oh, okay. totally. It, it is. It is totally like
1: once you get past that. You mean once you get out. past the dancing cockroaches? Um, but with the children's faces. That's With children's part. faces. But that's the thing. I I want. I, I just want to impress upon everyone listening is that. This was a universal movie with Spielberg yeah. producing it like with 100 million dollars behind it this doesn't happen these studios don't take risks like this not but like on pa- but on paper this was a sure hit fire hit like mm-hmm. this was a hit on paper it had it checked every single box off. The one thing it did not check off was uh, the cat anuses um, that were in it and the n- unfinished hands and visual effects that oh, they yeah. released it with it was oh god <laughs> i
2: didn't even noticed the hands part but i think what i what i appreciate with it cats though is it it does offer it adds something to the the musical genre that has been missing in a long for a long time and that's actually having some people involved that are and again i'm looking past the effects, which I think I just kind of got, it's like a hot tub. You kind of get used to it after a while.
1: For me, at least. <laughs> that was great. It's a um, great analogy. Like after a while, it's really hot when you get in, but after a while, just yeah, like, it just waves it's over okay. you. It's, it's,
0: it's, fine. it's Like the ocean.
1: But yeah, I think, <laughs>
2: but I think you got like all these, a lot of the role, a lot of the, the more major roles of cat. And again, like I got, I got this is an admission that I am a big cats fan before okay. the movie came out. So I okay. know, I knew the, there's not a story. It's it's a collection of songs. It's really what it is. It's it's based on poems by T.S. Eliot. Right. So I I I mean I have that background of it. So I under I knew the characterizations, but you you have a lot of people that are that are in the musical genre that don't because the musical genre for a long time has been plagued by the fact that you have to have the paper. The paper has to say you know we have this star and it's going to bring this much box off this star this star, and the problem with you know that is uh, Johnny Depp for example in Sweeney Todd he's not really a good singer, not for that particular role. Um, that's the, pro- the, so what Katz did, which was kind of re- unique, was that they got a lot of people in the leads that aren't household names that are that
0: are from like the Royal Ballet Company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Which it's like, Wow,
2: we're actually bringing in people that are good artists. Now we, we covered them with I, fake fur, I, <laughs> but and those sets at least they brought just, in some good some good art. If you actually if you were to only watch one segment and not and just kind of ignore the rest of if you watch the Skimble Shanks, the Railway Cat, and this is this is this sounding absurd now. <laughs> if you watch just that segment and you can, it's not too has, bad. <laughs> it's, it's actually very good because it's probably the best segment in the entire film. It's not it's not like disturbing there's no children on cockroaches um but it's actually you actually see some very very high level dancing on 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 display it's something you don't actually see in 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 movies so
1: i'll give i'll give the filmmaker credit for that it's look Um, it's lit beautifully the dancing is great the singing is fantastic um the songs are the songs they're great you know um what a little cat whatever the hell that thing is called i don't angelical cat The first eight minutes of the movie is just one long-ass song. And my wife looked at me. She's like, is this going to stop anytime (laughs) soon? I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. And uh, the best review I've ever heard for a movie was for Cats. And it's one sentence. (laughs) Just so perfect. Cats is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. (laughs) (laughs) It's just absolutely – but it's been bashed enough in the press. But I just wanted to hear your point of view, so I appreciate that. Um, anyone out there, please watch Cats. Let, let us know what you think no, <laughs> in the
2: comments it below. You
1: know, it helps if you go into it maybe a little inebriated. Oh, no. I'm halfway th- – like in those first 20 minutes, I'm like, man, if I- – and I don't, I don't drink or I don't smoke. I've never done drugs. But I'm like, if I was high, this would be much better. Like I could – like if, if you're tri- if you're tripping – again have never tripped but if if i could only imagine like if i was tripping this this movie would blow my mind
2: <laughs> it is it is one of those in the mood movies again it, it, uh, the thing is i'm also a huge fan of andrew lloyd weber who's uh yeah, yeah. obviously wrote cats but andrew lloyd Webber in his earlier years you have to realize the guy was there was some weird stuff he put out really oh, weird cats yeah. is is in that category
1: <laughs> In <laughs> that category.
0: Hello. Oh.
1: <laughs> now I'm gonna ask you a couple questions to ask all my guests. Yeah, sure. Uh what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today?
2: Oh my lord. Um uh I could be very, very facetious and say quit. <laughs> Just, just run stop. away, just stop. run away. Because if you follow that advice, then you probably made a good decision. <laughs> if you said, no, John, you're an idiot. I don't want to listen to you. Then you probably have the right mindset for, <laughs> for sticking it out in this business because it is it, it is hard. I think but be less facetious, I think, is to to really understand what you're trying to put out there. Um, I think a lot of people get so, so narrow. So they put the blinders on. They think about their project, their movie, and they think it's It is so perfect for everybody, and everyone will love my movie because I'm the one that made it. And I actually had somebody send me a a question the other day. He asked me, "What does what do they mean by target audience?" And I I had to ask myself, like, how how do you not understand what your target? So I I just kind of went through went through with him. It's like, who does your movie uh, appeal to? Who who do you think would want to see your movie? And I think that's if if that advice, maybe it's just to understand not only like what what are you making your movie. Uh, not necessarily for who you're making the movie, but or how how does it how does it fit in the larger world, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and also realize too that you don't necessarily make movies for uh for the entire world. You sometimes you, a lot of the times you make a movie for yourself first, but also realize that fact that, that you know try to tie that into. I mean, I try that in make make the movie for yourself, but also realize that how to, how does that how to appeal to other people. If that makes sense,
1: uh, makes makes it's, perfect. It's a so long... un- understand who your audience is, basically, and yeah. and, tr- and try to create something for that audience. Um, is a good piece of advice. Yeah,
2: and I thing again, the, the audience could be you too. I mean, you are in the audience. You are you are the first audience. So if it doesn't appeal to you, then obviously it's not. Gonna, I mean, if it doesn't appeal to you, you're gonna have trouble appealing it to somebody else. And so.
1: and three of your favorite films of all time.
2: Oh, that's uh, Doctor Strange. Love is probably one of my favorites of all time. Um. I'm not gonna go cats, <laughs> by what you may think, uh, it's not even near the top ten. Um, I'm trying to think of the uh, Doctor Strange Love is absolutely my favorite. Oh, uh, I love um, Something Like It Hot. Yeah, I just love. Oh, it's a great film. It's such um, a great film. I was gonna pick another one that it's kind of a more of a smaller one. This is kind of what really inspired me to be a filmmaker. Is a movie called The Big Kahuna. Yeah,
1: I remember. The, I, remember the big, I remember the Big Kahuna. Kevin
2: Spacey. Yep. Danny DeVito and the guy that played the uh, one of the vampires on Twilight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we oh. Went on to, I forget yes, his I, Name I know he's talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's it's a and it's a it's a great little movie from the ni- late '90s. Uh, it's about these three salesmen that get together and they're trying to land the big Kahuna, and it's entirely driven by conversation and entirely place, it takes place in a single room, and it is some of the best performances I've ever seen on film. So that's that's I think that's one of my favorites.
1: Very cool. I
2: put that out there. Now where and where can people find you? Now, uh, uh filmmaker I need to, I'm, I am redoing the website eventually. It's, it's a long process, but if you really want to find me, uh, youtube.com slash, I think filmmaker IQ is the, just look up filmmaker IQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can chase me around on Facebook. I mean, I I post more like personal stuff on Facebook, but between those two, that's really where you're going to see most of my face and uh, obviously on this podcast.
1: John, I really appreciate it uh you coming on the hey, show, man. Sure. Uh we could talk for probably another two, three hours. Uh, oh, no, just no geeking, just geeking out alone on cats. Yeah. But uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate what you do, man, and, and all the education you put out there for um for filmmakers out there. So thank you for doing what you do, my friend. Well,
2: thank you for having me.
1: I want to thank John for coming on the show and dropping his filmmaker IQ. On the tribe today. Thank you so, so much, John. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 323.
0: Thank you so much for listening,
1: guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv.